You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and zero trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their sassy journey, visit netskope.com. Warnings of Russian recon degradation of the North American power grid, information operations in Russia's hybrid war against Ukraine, factions in Yemen's civil war contest cyberspace and fiber optic cables, eternal silence exploit systems not patched against eternal blue and eternal red, Dell tells its customers to reset their passwords, and the U.S. indicts two Iranians for deploying the SamSam ransomware. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Thursday, November 29th, 2018. Security firm FireEye warns that Russian threat actors are conducting opportunistic and worrisome reconnaissance of the North American power grid. FireEye calls the group they've been monitoring Temp.Isotope, but it's better known as either Dragonfly 2.0 or, of course, Energetic Bear. Temp.isotope seems interested for now in collection and not disruption. Some of that collection is thought to be designed with a view to improving Russian power distribution, but it's difficult to read much of the rest as anything other than battle space preparation. It's worth noting that Energetic Bear has concentrated on intelligence collection and that it's operated to a great extent through fishing and watering hole attacks. Even reconnaissance takes a toll. It certainly doesn't amount to a grid takedown or to a disruption of service, but it does amount to what FireEye calls degradation in the counterintelligence sense. It consumes security resources. It wearies security teams. It forces certain defensive responses, and of course it can lay the groundwork for some future disruptive attack. This is part of battle space preparation. Russia's Ukrainian battle space is already well-prepped, It's also newly kinetic in the Sea of Azov, as Russian naval units have fired on and seized some Ukrainian vessels. Ukraine has declared martial law in parts of the country. Information operations have also begun. Ukrainian objections to attacks on shipping are nothing more, in Moscow's telling, than an electoral ploy to prop up Ukrainian President Poroshenko in preparation for the March elections. Besides, they were in Russian territorial waters and got what they had coming to them, and anyway, the incident has been blown out of proportion. Expect more of this, and don't look for consistency. It's what sticks that counts. Information operations are nothing if not opportunistic. And expect kinetic attacks in this hybrid war to be accompanied by offensive cyber operations. Another kinetic war, the one in Yemen, is spilling over into cyberspace, The Saudi-backed government and the Iran-backed Houthi rebels are contending for control of the Internet, blocking opponents, collecting intelligence, and conducting some online banditry. The Houthis have been particularly active in cyberspace, as noted by foreign policy. 
the leverage control of cyberspace brings to the combatants has helped set some of the faction's physical objectives. The fiber-optic cables that run through the Sanaa region are especially prized and are thought to be the source of a good deal of the Houthis' operational intelligence. On the consumer side of cybersecurity, VPNs, virtual private networks, are a popular solution for privacy, obscuring who you are, security, obscuring the data you're exchanging, and geography, obscuring where you're located. But what about the business and enterprise case for VPNs? Francis Denna is founder and CEO at OpenVPN, and he joins us to explain. The first use case is mostly remote access, basically giving mobile workers, say, if you're working from home, or even in a lot of cases right now, where a lot of resources and data is being deployed on a cloud, and now you want to give access to your employee, a remote access, but mostly secure access to all your resources, to all your services that is deployed, say, on Amazon Cloud, AWS on your um, you know, virtual private cloud, or on your private network for remote workers. So VPN is used for remote access to your basically a network resources that are deployed in a private cloud or a private network. There is also another case for managing devices. So for instance, where you have companies who are deploying Internet of Things. Uh, we have, uh, for instance, a company, air conditioning company, where they deploy all these uh, air, air conditioning units, and they use VPN to basically monitor, uh, control, remotely control all these different devices. So that's more of an Internet of Things. Um, another use case would be points of sales. For instance, uh, there is a company that uses our OpenVPN for basically points of sales in different restaurants where uh, they utilize internet, but then what they do is they use the, the VPN to tunnel all that information and send and exchange all that information for point of sales going to the data centers. And believe it or not, and even in some certain cases, even car like Tesla. Hmm. Tesla uses VPN and OpenVPN to tunnel all their traffic, all things related to software updates, or when it when it comes to uh, where they have the Google map for the navigation, for the updating that, that again goes all the way to their private data centers and basically um, being able to exchange information remotely and securely. So it's all for businesses, it's all about remote access. There is another use case for businesses is also that I want to make sure as an IT person, I have a full control for all the information that's basically exchanged between the employee device and even the internet. So in a way, this is a use case for security. So I would be able to tunnel all the traffic from that device and making sure that I can block certain content, I can scan, I can block spam. So it's mostly for threat management and intrusion preventions. Uh, so all that stuff, it's, it's VPN is used as a tool also for for the IT organization to control that level of information and to provide that level of service, you know, mostly for security. So it's very close to the cloud security for the consumer, but this is where the businesses uh, basically have that use case of remote access, but also the security, the cloud security as well. 
And so when an organization is shopping around for a VPN provider, what are the types of questions they should be asking? It depends uh, what is the, their use case. If, if the, the type of the question that they need to ask is what kind of protocols they are supporting. Are they supporting OpenVPN protocols? Are they supporting IPsec? Okay. Uh, what kind of authentications mechanisms do they have? Do they have dual factor? Do they support second factor authentication? Uh, is it a certificate base? Uh, so all these security questions that they have to ask. The other thing they have to ask is on the server side, do you have a self-hosted solution? Can I host this on my network or on my own cloud without having to go you through your cloud? Because I don't want my traffic to go you through your cloud. If it's okay, maybe in some cases, I don't mind my traffic to go through through a third-party provider. Is it a self-hosted? Can I deploy this on my cloud private network? What kind of authentication also mechanism is support? Does it support uh, Active Directory? Does it support Radius, LDAP? Does it support SAML? Uh, what kind of access control do you provide on your VPN solutions? Uh, do you provide me tools where I can basically have different access for different groups, different organization, or different groups within my own organization. For instance, I have a sales organization, I have engineering organization, and I have different access, you know, privileges there that I can set, right? So there, there are all these kind of questions a business have to ask. I mean, it's really unlike consumers. The consumer use case is very simple. I'm connecting to a third-party VPN provider all my traffic is flowing there, and I'm getting pretty much just the service to access internet. But on in, 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 uh, in this use case for business, we're talking about basically remote access to a private network, a private resources or private cloud, and also to tunnel all the traffic for securing that traffic through their network as well. That's Francis Denha from OpenVPN. Security researchers at Akamai report that the UPN proxy vulnerability that enables exploitation of the universal plug-and-play protocol is now being used to hit unpatched devices behind router firewalls. Attacks use Eternal Blue and Eternal Red, which the shadow brokers released and said were NSA exploits against targeted computers. Akamai calls the campaign Eternal Silence. As Akamai points out, this was bound to happen eventually. More than 45,000 routers are believed to be compromised so far. It's worth noting that the vulnerabilities these exploits use have been patched for some time, but there's clearly no shortage of unpatched systems out there. Dell has warned of an attempted breach of its networks and has taken the precaution of resetting customer passwords. The computer company told Dell.com customers that it detected unauthorized activity in its network on November 9th. Dell believes that some unknown parties tried to access names, email addresses, and hashed passwords. The company says there's no conclusive evidence that whoever was in its network was able to get any data, but it wants its customers to reset their passwords and make them strong ones. And should those customers have followed the bad but common practice of reusing passwords on other accounts, they should reset those too. A U.S. federal grand jury has indicted two Iranian nationals on charges related to distribution of SamSam ransomware. The U.S. attorney for the District of New Jersey has charged Faramars Sahi Savandi and Mohammed Mehdi Shan Mansouri with one count of conspiracy to commit wire fraud, one count of conspiracy to commit fraud and related activity in connection with computers, 
two substantive counts of intentional damage to a protected computer, and two substantive counts of transmitting a demand in relation to damaging a protected computer. The most well-known and consequential SamSam infestation was the one that took so much of the city of Atlanta offline, and other high-profile cases were also named in the indictment, including the extortion attempts at the MedStar Medical Center in Baltimore, the Port of San Diego, the University of Calgary, and the Colorado Department of Transportation. The FBI calls the effects of SamSam staggering. Some 230 entities were infected with SamSam. The extortionists took in about $6 million in ransom payments, but that was the least of the damage. The SamSam infestation caused around $30 billion, that's billion with a B, in damage to the public and private institutions it affected. Both Mr. Savandi and Mr. Mansouri are presently outside the reach of U.S. law enforcement, but they'd be well advised not to vacation in places where an extradition treaty with the U.S. is in force. They also face sanctions from the U.S. Treasury Department, and those will have some effect whether the gentlemen are in custody or not. Treasury has added, for the first time, digital currency identifiers to the targets on its sanctions list, and it's helpfully provided guidance on how people involved with those currencies can help block transactions. This is expected to be precedent-setting. It's worth noting that this law enforcement operation was an international one. The cooperating agencies included, the FBI says, the UK's National Crime Agency and West Yorkshire Police, as well as Canada's Calgary Police Service and the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Emily Wilson. She's the Fraud Intelligence Manager at Terbium Labs. 
Emily, welcome back. Um, you know, certainly GDPR has been top of mind. And one of the things you've been tracking is this possibility that there might be some unintended consequences as the result of GDPR kicking into place. So what's going on here? One of the news stories that caught my eye recently is this, uh, you know, feedback from the ICO. This is the Information Commissioner's Office out of the UK, where they're talking about an issue of too many breach reports coming in. Hmm. The uh, the commissioner there, uh, you know, mentioned this issue in a in a talk they gave at a, a cybersecurity conference recently, saying that they're getting something like 500 calls a week uh, since GDPR kind of came into play back in May, and you know, something like a third of these are actually not something that you would need to report. And beyond that, they're getting people who don't have enough information uh, or can't provide information, you know, aren't in a position to talk more in depth about, you know, what the issues are in, in, a, in a given situation. I think it's interesting because I I don't think any of us would have thought we'd get to a point where there are too many breaches being reported. Mm. I, you know, if we're getting 500 calls a week, I think that speaks to at least some of the volume that we weren't hearing about until now, that people didn't have a reason to report until now. Uh, and I, I think it puts the community in an interesting situation because, you know, we're, we're facing kind of two things here. One, we have the opportunity to get real insight into the frequency of how many data breaches are actually occurring or how many data breaches people think are occurring. And then also we're seeing some some confusion over the process, right? And in the meantime, we have companies that seem overly willing to comply, whether because they're concerned about consequences or because, frankly, they need help. And then in the meantime, who's not reporting? Who are we not hearing from? Who does have a good grasp on the situation and is thinking, you know what, I'm going to just let this one slide and, and see if they find out. Something that got my attention from this, um, some coverage about this this comment from the commissioner was, you know, concerns about too many notifications coming in and the problems that can have with breach fatigue, you know, notification fatigue for consumers. And it it is a difficult line because you know we want we want that information to come in. I think as a community we need it to come in. We need to know what the baseline looks like. We need to know how bad it is. And in which ways it's bad so that we can make some progress here and, and see what we have in common and work on this together. But also, what do we do for consumers? Consumers can't process something like, you know, 500 notifications a week. Right. Uh, and, and so how do we how do we work with this data? Because I think we should be collecting it. I think we should be getting as much information about this as we can. If for no other reason, then it would be good to know if... 250 of the calls each week are coming from companies who haven't had a data breach, but have sent email to the wrong, you know, the wrong outside contractor, right? Maybe we wouldn't call that a breach, but if that's a consistent, you know, security concern or a consistent issue of data compromise, then we should be recording that. We should use this to our advantage, but it seems like that's, you know, that's not really how the ICO is set up right now. And so what, what can we use to fill that space? Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it continues to evolve as we face this new reality. Emily Wilson, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com cyber to take a self-serve tour. 
That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Hi, everybody. It's Maria Varmazas here, your host over at T-Minus Space Daily and sometimes a guest on Hacking Humans, too. We here at N2K CyberWire work hard to bring you concise, intelligence-driven news and commentary, and we'd like to know how we're doing. Please take a few minutes to complete our audience survey and share your feedback to help us continue to grow and meet your needs. Visit cyberwire.com slash survey. That's cyberwire.com slash survey to get started. Thanks so much for your input as we reach for the stars. It means the universe to us. And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the darknet, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire. Cyberwire. 